Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim. Good to have you with us here this morning. Uh, we're in a series. We're wrapping up a series. Can you believe this? This is week seven. We're wrapping up a seven-week series looking at the seven churches of Revelation. That's why we've called it the seven. Uh, I don't know uh, what uh, when you read about these churches, what you think of, but what I stumbled across was the thought of this is what God wants and this is what God doesn't want His churches to be. And so he, you see Jesus Christ addressing these seven different churches. They're real churches. They're not some make-believe thing. They're real churches in real cities in Turkey, uh, present-day Turkey. Uh, and and uh, so if you'd like to get out your notes and follow along, you can. I was, when, as I was preparing for this lesson, I was looking and noticing something, and I, I wanted, to, wanted you to see this in Revelation 1, 10 through 11. It says, On the Lord's day, this is John speaking, I was in the Spirit, it's on a Sunday, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. And so, so he sends them uh, this letter, he has a vision, and he sends it to these seven churches. Let's look at the map now. Go ahead and put the map up. And, and here are the seven churches he's listed here. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it's interesting that it's in, it's in a certain order. These churches are in this order. This, it's an old Roman mail route. And these are major cities in Asia Minor, which is today called Turkey. Now today we're looking at the church looking at a church in Laodicea. And it's the church that, that makes God want to hurl, if you want to be honest, okay? He wants, it, it, does, it makes Him sick. And, and, and the thing that I want you to see, I guess, as we're looking at this, is that the Bible says this in, in Revelation 1-3, Blessed are those who hear it, this letter, and take it to heart. Take to heart what is written in it. I want to ask you a question. Do you think Jesus Christ is concerned about the lost in the world? Sure He is. Sometimes you get the impression He's more concerned about them than anyone else. I want you to know, this, was, this book of Revelation was written to Christians. He is concerned about those that come to church, that are a part of His kingdom. And so today, as, we look at, as, we, as we've been looking through this series, and as today we look at this last church, I hope that you will, you've been listening and you take to heart you take to heart what we're hearing about these churches, what Jesus is saying to these churches, because out of seven of them, five, He gets into it with. He puts it on them pretty tough. Today we're going to see the harshest and the heaviest thing He says to all the churches is said to this particular church in Laodicea. And so it's important that we learn that we take what, what God is saying to these churches, because He cares about you and I, what kind of church are we going to have? What kind of Christian are you going to be? You see, he can, he can sit there. God can say, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. And define the fire out of what a church ought to be. But you know what? You know this. This is true. You and I determine if we're going to be that church, right? You have a stake in this. You say, oh, I've only been a member of this church. I wasn't here at the beginning. doesn't matter. Oh, I've just been visiting a little bit while I'm thinking maybe I might be a part of it. If you're going to be a part of this place, understand something. We're trying to be like the church you read about in the Bible. Now, it wasn't a perfect church when you read about the church in the Bible. It was a mess. So if you're looking for a perfect church, good luck with that. Keep looking. You're going to look a long time. 
But if you're looking for a church that's messed up and a church is trying to follow Christ, you come to a good place. You have something in common with everybody else. Like, like Seth was saying, we're all sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect. And so we see Jesus addressing these seven churches and He's saying, I want this in you. I don't want that. I want this. And if we'll pay attention, if we'll take it to heart, that's, that's my greatest desire. Then not only we listen as a church here at Greater Alton to what God is saying to these churches in Revelation, but each of us will take to heart that we'll take it, use it, apply it, work with it, respond in obedience to what God wants. He says if you'll do that, it will bless you. It will bless us as a church, bless you as a Christian. Now today I want to look at this church that makes God want to puke. I know somebody says, I can't believe you used that word puke in a title of a sermon. Well, that's what it means. That's what that word means when He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And I know it's not very attractive, but sometimes Jesus has to get our attention. Sometimes God has to get a church's attention. And what better way than to say, you make me want to hurl. I mean, that will do it. That will do it. Let's read about this church in Laodicea. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen. In other words, I have the final word. The faithful and true witness. You can depend on me and what I say is always true. The ruler of God's creation. I, I got it all covered. I've got it all covered. I control it all. I'm, I have power over everything. Every problem, every challenge, every pressure, whatever you're facing, I have the answer and I can help you through it. I have, I'm ruler of all creation. And then he says, I know your deeds. Just like he has said to Ephesus, just like he said to Pergamum, just like he has said to places like Philadelphia and Thyatira, I know your deeds. I know where you live. I know Jesus Christ knows you. Maybe better than you. He knows you. He wants to know you. He think about this. You have God's attention. As a Christian, as someone's not even maybe not a Christian, you're not a Christian today. Well, you know, God you have God's attention. He's watching you. He notices you. He wants you to be with Him. I know your deeds. And He says that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. He means so you can become truly rich. That would buy my gold. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I'm so glad this verse is... I mean, Jesus has just jumped His church and look what He says. He just wanted to reassure you and I when we hear something harsh from somebody or harsh from the Bible, don't you go, man, God, don't you like me? Don't you care about me? Look what he says here. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He goes, if you're going to hear something harsh from me, something hard from me, if, if I'm going to come down on you, understand it's always out of love. Now, I can't always say that. Can you? The statements you've said to people, harsh statements, were they out of love? Or were you just mad? 
or you're frustrated. Jesus says here, the, one, the people I love, I tell the truth to. I rebuke them if I have to. I discipline them. And he says, so be earnest. Remember that word, earnest. So be earnest and repent. Change the way you're thinking. Change the way you act. Verse 20. This is a passage I've learned. I've known since I was seven. This verse. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Then he says, to the one who's victorious. He says to this church at Laodicea, you're lukewarm, but you can overcome that problem. You can be victorious over this. You can change this. You've lost your passion for God. Let me tell you, you can get it back. You can get it back. You can be victorious. What's taking? By the way, there's no pressure on this church. There's no persecution on this church. Yet they're lukewarm. Everything's at peace. Sometimes it's harder to be faithful when everything's going well. Huh? I don't know about you, but the last few weeks have been rough. I've never prayed more. In the last few weeks, I haven't in a while. Why? Well, let's see. My sister-in-law passed away. I'm putting in auto glass right and left, breaking stuff. Things are getting damaged. My mom comes to visit. I love my mama. I'm glad she visited. That's all I mean. I'm glad she came and visited. She wants me to come see her. We don't want to live in the same house. When it says a man shall love his woman, his wife, and you know leave his mother and father, my mom goes, "Yay!" <laughs> me too. Yay! There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff happening. He says, "If you're victorious, and by the way, when I, when it's like that, I seem to do better. But when it's peaceful and everything's just fine, well, that's when I get into trouble. I begin to let up on the gas, so to speak." To the one who's victorious, and by the way, I want to say it again, it must be difficult to overcome lukewarmness. It, per, it may be more difficult than overcoming the pressure at work or the pressure from our culture because this is pressure inside that I control. Hear me? It's nobody else doing this to me but me. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne. What? You read chapter 4, verse 1. John sees this big throne and he says, Look, somebody that's dazzling like diamonds and rubies is sitting on it and there's 24 elders going, Holy, holy, and their crowns are falling. They're taking their crowns off. And there's thousands of angels and cherubim all around. And these creatures, weird living creatures are all going, Holy, holy, around it. He goes, you don't just get to see who sits on the throne. You get to come up and sit with me on the throne. It's that important. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne, whoever has ears, He goes, oh, I hope you're listening. If you've got an ear, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, what do we know about this, this town of Laodicea? Because what we've noticed so far, each time we've studied a church, you get this, well... Here's their town, and Jesus seems to be speaking to them in terminology and in current terminology that they can relate to where they live. So what do we know about this church at Laodicea, or this town at Laodicea? 
Well, there's six of them. There's six different cities called Laodicea in the ancient world. This one is uh, Laodicea of Lycia. And it was, it was on a main trade route between Ephesus and the, uh, and the rest of Asia to the west. There was a main road coming right through it, like an interstate, if you will. And this made Laodicea the richest town in Asia. It was richer than Ephesus. Everything came through here. All the truckers, you might say, bringing their goods back and forth and dumping their loads. And it was a hub, so to speak. And so it's got a booming economy. Everybody's got a job. It's known for its black cloth. It's, the purple is so dark from, from the, this, the wool of this sheep that it's, it looks, it's black. And they make these wonderful tunics with them. And they're known to have, like some designer, they're known for this wonderful tunic they call a trimata. In fact, they sold so many of these that sometimes people would not call the city Laodicea, but Trimateria, because of all of these garments, these tunics they made from this black wool. And, and not only that, it was, it, it was known for its pharmaceuticals. And one of the things they had a quarter market on was ISAV. And what I thought was interesting, think about it today. You got these guys, that, you know, these, these pharmaceutical companies charging outrageous prices for a pill. They got the only pill, right? $10,000 a pill. Man, you're ripping us off! Well, see, they had the only, the, only the good ISAV, and they're ripping, they're making, they're raking it in. They're just raking in the money. Because they're the only people that have this stuff. And it cures these eye diseases that are so prevalent in this region. They're a banking center. Goldman Sachs, you could say. They just, they had it, they had so many banks. A Roman general one time went in with his, with his paycheck that nobody else could cash. Walks into Laodicea though and says, cash this, and they're able to do it. No problem. In fact, uh, in 60 AD, when Laodicea was leveled by an earthquake, a massive earthquake, just leveled the city, Rome steps in again, you know, like they've done before. Hey, would you like, we'll help you with this. And they go, no, kind of like Ford, when remember all the big three were there? We don't need your help. We got it. They're that rich. They're that, they have that much money. They rebuild the city by themselves. So there's this smugness to them, like, you know, we alright. And it's a great place to live. Everybody has a job. There's no poverty in this town. And you don't have just any kind of shop there or any kind of store there. No, in this town, you've got the best of the best of the best. It's the Beverly Hills of Asia. Man, it's got like, if you want to get a, you want to get something like, oh, I'm shopping for a chariot. You're not going to get some Ford that's got dripping oil from the bottom of the crankcase. I don't want that chariot. Well, they don't have a dealership here. You know, you walk over and there's Mercedes with their, you know, Model 1. GLK Model 1. You know, it's got uh, two wheels. Look at that upholstery. Uh, uh. Look at the gold. Yeah, it's so nice. Need a horse? Uh, let me give you a, over here. We'll go to Audi. We've got a little Audi over here. We've got the horses over here. They had the best. The, if you wanted food, you didn't, you didn't just... You're not... Uh, how do I say this? You're not going to Walmart. There's no Walmart there. I can't believe it. I work at Walmart. That's good food. Okay, you eat it. The thing I want you to know 
is, is, that, is that this place, they had the best markets, the freshest food, the freshest meat. It was, everything was top of the line. They threw it out. And what about the church there? Well, they've, they've kind of, they've kind of, they've, well, kind of, they've benefited from living here too. There's a massive, the biggest Jewish presence of any city of the seven is in Laodicea. Yet there's no persecution, no pressure, nobody's poor, everybody's got a job, everybody's got money in their pocket, they're living in nice homes. I, I thought this was interesting. During the archaeological digs of Laodicea, they found homes the size of American homes. The big American homes in Laodicea. It was common. You didn't find small shanties or shacks or one-room buildings. These were big 2,000, 3,000 square foot homes. Everybody had them. The church there, they were... What a great place to live. Huh? Great. Or, or any crime? No. Everybody, nobody wanted to take anything. They had no reason to. You had it made in Laodicea. And as I read this letter, and as I'm reading this, I couldn't help but think about, and reading about the history of, of, of Laodicea. Isn't that America? Isn't that us? We've got so much. Everybody's trying to get in our country, and we're, build a wall! Build a wall! You know, make it tough on people to come in. Why? Why, why is it? Because we're afraid somebody's going to blow something up. No, can I tell you another reason? A lot of people are trying to get in here. It's a great place to live. Are you thinking about leaving? I ain't. No, I'm staying here. I like it here. I'll go to Canada. <laughs> Good luck. I think uh, Debbie was on her Facebook said that in Mexico the average four dollars a day. Four dollars a day. Anybody want to work for me for four dollars a day? Where's the hands? Oh man, it's hard. Man, four dollars a day right now in a world. If I understand this, I could be wrong. About half of the world's population works for two dollars a day. Two dollars a day? Yeah, four dollars a day. I thought no way. No wonder they're trying to get in. Do you blame them? We got it so good. Yeah, but Tim, I don't have a job. You know, you got more clothes. On, right now, you're wearing more clothes than a lot of people. Right now, you you got a bed to sleep in. Well, it's a couch. You got something to sleep in. And and oh, what will we do without our cell phone? That's amazing to me. I, I'm watching people begging for food, and then I drive by, you know, begging for money and stuff. And then I drive by, and then they're on their cell phone. What are you on a stuff? You got, you asking for money? Man, you better get out of that plan. Go with Sprint or somebody else. That's your problem. We got it made. We have it made. You realize that? You say, well, Tim, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not. Listen. You got more than most of the world. And Laodicea, they had it all going for them. And the church, they're raking it in too. 
You, remember what Jesus said? You think you're, you, you say you're rich. You don't need anything. They've got money. They have no pressure on them. Rome is at peace in that area. There is no persecution. It is easy. And by the way, here in America, how are you being persecuted for your faith? Yeah. What happened? I asked somebody to come to church and they said, no. Where my feelings? What? Are you kidding me? That's not persecution. That's just a little bit of rejection. We got it so easy. And this church had it easy. And out of the seven, they're the worst in the bunch. See, I tell you what, when it gets easy, that's when it can get hard. It can get hard to follow Christ. So what do I learn from this church? I got two points. But one of them's got four in it. Okay, I got two points. Here's the first one. My spiritual temperature matters to God. And what I, could you add, and it should matter to me. If any, I guess maybe I ought to say it this way. My spiritual temperature should matter to me as much as it matters to God. How about that? I like that even better. We're still working on a sermon. My spiritual temperature should matter to me as much as it matters to God Himself, because it matters. See, there's a big problem in Laodicea. The water. They're the Flint, Michigan of Asia right now, man. The water's just not fit to drink. They try, it, it tastes nasty. Why? It's just so chock full of minerals, it's coming out in chunks, you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, we'll boil it. Let's boil it. And you try boiling it out, it'll make the whole house stink. It smells like sulfur. You try drinking it, it'll make you sick. It'll it make you sick to your stomach. Everything tastes nasty. Put it in a little, your, put it in your food or something. It's just awful. And so what does the richest city in Asia do? They build pipelines. And let's look at that map. Can we look at that? Is that time to look at that map? Yeah. Remember this map we just saw? Well, there's two cities close to Laodicea. See them? Heropolis and Colossae. They're about six miles north and six miles south. At Heropolis, they have hot springs from volcanic activity. Kind of like French Lick, Indiana. Remember some of us went to French Lick and had those springs, those hot springs? And there's hot, hot springs, Arkansas. You know, what are, and, and Huray, Colorado has these hot springs. And, and you go there and you soak in them and it's supposed to be therapeutic. It helped for you. And, and then there's Colossae, which is six miles kind of southwest of them, or southeast. And there you have the ice, snow-capped mountain water of Colossae. Bush. You know, oh, how many of you on a hot day, you like it? And I, if it's your beer or your soda or water, it's got, it's so cold, it bites back. Right? That's the water coming from Colossae. And over here in Heropolis, whoa, that's hot. <laughs> it's boiling. That's what it means. Hot and cold. In, in this, in this uh, passage, hot means boiling hot. Cold means icy. Icy cold. When's the last time you had a lukewarm soda? I was drinking coffee this morning. We got a Cuisinart coffee maker at the shop. And I'm working on a sermon. And I'm 
and Cuisinart, man, it's, this coffee's so hot you could weld with it. You know, it's so hot. And I drink, wow, this is so hot. But then 10 minutes, throw it out. Why? It's room temperature. And so Jesus is, is, he's, you see, the, 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 uh, the city of Laodicea is, is concentrating and they're focusing on the taste of the water. So they pipe in this water from Heropolis and Colossae. They make this aqueduct system and they got pipes coming from both directions, hot and cold. What well, you and I do. It's so easy. They, they gotta wait for it. And so, as the city, has tried to figure out the problem with the taste of their water. Jesus says, you got another, the church, you got, you don't like your water, it makes you sick? Let me tell you what makes me sick. You know how your water from Heropolis is boiling hot when it starts, but by the time it gets down to Laodicea, it's at room temperature. And that cold, ice cold water from Colossae you, you thought you were gonna get, what happens to it by the time it gets down to you? Well, the heat from the sun and all, and the heat, just the extreme heat, it's now lukewarm. Like all the other water. It's the same temperature as all the other water in town. And that's what makes me sick. Because that reminds me of you. You're not hot. You're not cold. Somehow, somehow through time and travel, you started out hot. You started out cold. But now you're lukewarm. And it's making me nauseous. I want to puke. That's what I don't like. That's what I don't want. I know your deeds. He says, I know you're, you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You make me gag like your water. How, Jesus, how could you be so harsh? Oh, goodness. You're not the Jesus I know. It's the Jesus we should know. Because He says He's concerned about something, folks. He's concerned about your spiritual intensity. He's concerned about that bite that you have. When you're walking amongst all the unbelievers and everybody else in the world, you're supposed to be radically different. He goes, I'd rather have you cold if you can't be hot. I'd rather have you not even believe in me at all. Not lukewarm. Isn't that what the world criticizes us for? Isn't that what they really jump us about? You're lukewarm. You're not really changing. You're no different than me. And that's what lukewarmness is. It's living at room temperature, whatever the environment is around me. It's having that spiritual values of the environment that I'm around. And Jesus says, it's just, I'm concerned about that. That matters to me. I mean, I don't want you to grow indifferent. I didn't die on the cross so you could be casual about this. I want you intense. I want you to have passion. I want you to have drive. I want you to have zeal. I want you to boil. You know, this idea of hot and cold, you might say, well, how do you know it's, I was reading, I was reading some stuff, got me confused a little bit because I was going hot and cold, hot and cold. Well, what's wrong with being cold? You know, we'll see. We don't even use hot and cold most of the time. Uh, we use hot and cold to imply something, good or bad. Um, man, this team, I think, is going to win the, the, the series. How do you know? They're on a 
hot streak. What are, what are they saying? Well, they're arsonists and they burn down the other team's locker room and they can't show up. No! They're, he's got a hot hand! Or one time, Denise was, she and I were dressing up to go out for our anniversary and the boys are watching Denise and she's got the earrings and makeup and she goes, man, mom, you look hot. Well, I didn't go, how dare you insult your mother? I was thinking the same thing. You look kind of hot. What does that mean? Something good? Ladies, would you rather have somebody say, you look hot? Sure. And what about cold? Well, we use cold, we say things like, man, you, you got like ice water going through your veins. What's that mean? That's not a compliment. You're cold hearted. Jesus even said that, that there'd be a day when the hearts of men would grow cold. It wasn't a compliment. That icy stare. What's that mean? Well, that's a compliment. You've got pretty eyes. No, it doesn't mean that. And so Jesus is using this same hot and cold idea. You look at the Bible, you find out the word hot is associated, not just with hell, but associated with passion and zeal and desire. He uses words like earnest and and zeal, and zeal to say that. Uh, there's a guy in the Old Testament, King Jehu, and he says he drives like a madman. He, if you know somebody that's a crazy driver, reckless driver, this is this king was that. He says, watch my zeal for the Lord. Yeah! <laughs> he just goes all over the road. Now, it doesn't mean if you're a bad driver that you have the zeal of the Lord, but it does say something. He says, watch my zeal. Samson! Samson had zeal for the Lord. God, the Spirit come upon him, and he was strong like ten men. But then something happened to Samson. His zeal, the Lord left him. And what happened? He became as strong as any man. What's that mean? Lukewarm like everybody else. And that's what Jesus is sitting here saying. He's sitting here going, listen, you know, I would rather have you be cold than lukewarm. Now, Satan doesn't mind if you're lukewarm. Hear me? Hello? Satan doesn't care. That's good. That's all right with him. Jesus says that's non-negotiable. It makes me sick. Look what he says here in Matthew 5. Let me tell you why you're here. Okay, tell us. This is the message. I love the message sometimes. It just lays it out, doesn't it? You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your saltiness and will end up in the garbage. He's saying, I've made you light. I've made you salt. These are agents that bring drastic change. Intense change. And, uh, and he, he goes, I want the world to see what I can do to you. And through you. The world needs to see people changing. Needs to see Christians Modeling this hot, zealous, boiling enthusiasm for the Lord. The guy said it this way. I was listening to a sermon this week. He said, you know, um, sometimes I just wonder if we're not, we're not really thinking. What if we sang the song, sang our church songs as they really are, how it really is, reflective of our life rather than the way it was written? Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now 
I'm blind. I'm still blind. I'm still this way. God never, God never wanted you to stay the same. God never wants me to stay the same. He wants the, His character, His love, and His values, His morals, His enthusiasm to come out. His light. His salt. Let me ask you this morning, if Jesus could take your spiritual temperature, what would it be? What do you think it would be? I mean, how, how has your temperature changed in the last, let's say, year? Would you, would you say, that's not what I think. It doesn't, listen, this lesson is not, I'm not after anybody. I'm after everybody. You say, he, you ever done this? You ever played this game? If the preacher looks at me when he says it, it must be for me. I think we got that out of the way. I'm not looking outside. I'm looking in here. And, it, and, and you say, well, Tim, are you... I just feel like, you know, when we get into this kind of topic here about being lukewarm, man, it's just I feel like, man, you're stepping on me or you could hurt me here. I want you to know, I understand. I don't want to hurt anybody either. But what I think don't matter. What God thinks matters. And what you think matters. So what would you say your temperature is? You see, I think a lot of us would admit we're lukewarm. If we, if we could be honest, I'm lukewarm. You're making Jesus sick. By the way, aren't you sick of it too? Doesn't it make you sick too? To be lukewarm? It makes me sick when I'm lukewarm. And the thing I want to challenge you to think about is this, is that Jesus tells this church, it's so easy, guys, it's so easy to look at these other churches and go, well, that's their problem. Not mine. And Jesus is telling this church so, to help you think about your life, our life as a church here. And he said, listen, if you're lukewarm, He wants you to know, will you do something about it? If you know you're lukewarm, see, I'm afraid you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, you're one of those people, I'm lukewarm, but you're gonna leave and we're done with this series and you're done with listening to that and it's, we're done. Nothing ever changes. But it can change. When you could change it. I'm afraid some of us here that are lukewarm, we kinda like it. Awful quiet. Am I right? We kind of like it. We kind of plan our life around it. We're comfortable with it. And yet Jesus, the cross wasn't comfortable. What makes me think carrying my cross is going to be any different? You say, Tim, I don't know. Some, you know this, I, I wasn't looking forward to this sermon. I, I only came because I thought, well, maybe we'll, you know, we'll get it wrapped up here. But I, I want to tell you something, folks. If you don't like being challenged about being lukewarm, you had a problem with me saying, I think you're lukewarm. That ought to indicate right there you are lukewarm. Because you know. And the thing that just 
blows my mind here. I could lose my salvation over this. What do you mean? I don't read that. So you think Jesus, when He says, I'm about to puke you out of my mouth, but you're going to go to heaven. You believe that? You're poor, wretched, blind, naked, but you're going to go to heaven. Really? You don't need me. You don't need me anymore. And I'm going to let you in heaven? Folks, you could lose your salvation over this issue right here. I really didn't want to end this series with this church. I wanted to end it with Philadelphia. You know, you got this promise, this promise, this promise. Praise God. I feel good. Thank you, Tim. Let's go have some potato salad. You know, it's a, everything will work out. But man, Jesus ends with this church and says He reserves His harshest, toughest statement to this one. This is the thing He's worked up more about than He is with the idol worship in Ephesus or, or, the, or the, uh, the, the guilds, the pressure at the workplace at Thyatira. He's more worked up about this then the church at Sardis being dead, he says, man, this one makes me sickest the most. And I want you to know, the great thing about this, he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He hasn't done it yet. You can change it. You can change that this morning. Are you concerned about your spiritual temperature? Jesus is. Number two. Again, what is your spiritual temperature? Number two. I control my spiritual temperature of God. I'm the one that controls it. I like to think other people do, but they don't. Other people may affect my spiritual temperature at times, but I'm the one that got the hand on the thermostat. Now, I'm not wanting to call anybody out. But how many times have you wanted to walk over to that thermostat right over there and beep, 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 put it up about five or six notches? Huh? I know Mike's in the room. You're afraid to lift your hand. There, Mike done it. There we go. How many times you go, I'm going to, it's just too cold in there. Beep, 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 beep. It's too hot in here. I'm going to freeze this place. Beep, 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 beep. Everybody's got to do You got some people say, it's too hot. It's too cold. You got a few people. It's right. A few people. But most people, it's one way or the other. Well, who's got their hands on your thermostat? I mean, come on. You know who's got their hands on your thermostat. We like to say it's somebody else. Well, you hurt my feelings and I just don't have passion anymore for God. Or I'm, he just, I got hurt or he said this or she said this or did this and I just, I just can't. You're over there going, I just can't do it anymore. Yeah, it's, whose hand's on the thermostat? My hand's on my thermostat. Your hand is on your thermostat. You and I control our spiritual temperature. Now, I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking there are lots of things that, that try to lower, that try to mess with my spiritual temperature. First of all, look what the Bible says here in Revelation 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, he says, and repent. He is saying you can do something about your spiritual temperature. How do you know that, Tim? Well, repent, I know. But you know what earnest means? It's there on your notes. It comes from a root word that means to bring to a boil. He said, you can bring your love for God 
your enthusiasm, your, your faith in God to a boil. Be earnest. Turn it up. Turn it up, Tim. What does it say in 1 Timothy 6? Fan into flame. Fan it into flame. Increase the temperature, Tim. You can increase it anytime you want to. So be earnest. Look what it says in Romans 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. That word fervor is the same word behind earnest. Keep your spiritual boiling point. Bring it up to a boil as you serve the Lord. I'm responsible. You and I are responsible for our temperature. Our spiritual temperature, in other words. So let me give you three steps to getting your spiritual temperature, your your spiritual fervor, getting it back. Okay? Step number one, I address what lowers my spiritual temperature. I have to address it. There's lots of things over the years of my life, and maybe some of you can even talk about, would say, that had affected my spiritual temperature, my passion for God. Let me give you five. The first one is aging. Age. And I would like you to add something there. The lie of aging. Because it's a lie. For some reason I think as I get older, and I know, I've been, I'm sorry, I know I've belabored this, I'm going to be 60 this year, and after June the 15th, then you'll hear me say, I'm 60 years old. I mean, I'm, I'm counting them now. Like when I was 10 or 5, I'm 5 years old. I'm 5 years old. I'm 60 years old. I'm, I'm going to start counting now. And I know I'm going to start doing that. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm telling the nation, I'm getting old. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should get out of the pulpit. Maybe I should get out of the, quit putting in glass. Maybe I should, said, maybe you ought to get out of your pity party, Tim. And quit using your age as some kind of excuse for your lack of activity or lack of passion. But, but Denise, I'm aches and pains. I'm sure we, you know what I'm learning over the years? As I, as I age, my passion goes into different places. I still have the passion. It just comes out differently. Look at, look at here, Ecclesiastes 12. Here's a favorite here. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. What's he saying? When you get old. And it starts, it starts describing what it's like to get old. Yeah, the windows are dim, you know, you can't see very good. The grinders, your teeth are falling out. You're stooped over. It's just, it's miserable old age is what we call it. And it is. And if it's not miserable, by the time I get there, I'll make sure it is. But look what he says here. And desire no longer is stirred. Now what's that mean? All I know is that his, he's saying, Sometimes age affects my desire. It no longer is stirred. And I think, oh, there's my, there's my out. I'm old and I'm done. I've died before I died. And yet you read the Bible and you can look at these two passages that I've got additional passages. In Psalms 92, he says that he promises the righteous in their old age. Listen to me, people over 60. Listen to me. It says the righteous will be green and will be fruitful in their old age. We need to stop acting. You say, Tim, you're only 59. You're not 60 yet. I've got a senior citizen's discount now. I have the right to say something about old age. We need to stop using it as an excuse, folks. You might have to do something different, but don't let it take your passion for God. 
Caleb said, he was 85. 85! He goes, walks up to Moses. He goes, I want to tell you right now, I've been waiting 40 years for everybody to die off. I want to get in that promised land. And I'm just as vigorous and ready to fight as I did when I was 45. You've got to address what is it that you're letting grab your thermostat and turn it down. Don't let your age do that. Number two, guilt and shame do that. There's nothing I think that takes the wind out of my sails like hidden sin. Like guilt and shame from hidden sin. Unconfessed, undealt with sin. You know, how many times has this happened to you? Look, well, let's read the passage first. David says this. He says, My heart pounds against my chest. My vigor is completely drained. My eyes were once bright, but now the brightness is all gone. Why? Sin has just sapped him of his passion for God. What? Has ever this happened to you? Hey, we're getting, a bunch of us are getting together. You want to get together? No, I don't feel good. Are you sick? Yeah, I guess. I just don't feel up to it. I don't feel, if you're waiting for a feeling, folks, it's going to be a long time. Sometimes the reason I'm not involved and I'm not connected is because I got something I'm hiding. I won't deal with it. And it makes connection very difficult. It makes opening my Bible difficult. Everything's a chore. Just read the whole passage in Psalms 38. And he says, My vigor is completely drained. My eyes that were once bright, enthusiastic, they're dimmed. They're dimmed because of it. What do I do to address that? Get it out and deal with it as soon as you can. Number three, fatigue. Fatigue. Well, I could have wrote this one. God, I am tarred. So tarred. How can I keep going? I'm tarred. You know, and some of us here, we work hard. We work for the Lord hard. You're passionate. Man, you're involved in ministry. You're getting in there with people. You're having these hard discussions. You're praying. You're worrying. You're working. And you're going, man, I'm just getting tired. And sometimes by being weary and tired, what did Jesus say? The body, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He says that to His exhausted disciples. The spirit is willing. you still got the passion, but your body is weak. Pray what? That you won't fall into temptation. What's the temptation? Quit. So what do I do when I'm tired? How about take a break? Take a break! I'm taking a break from the pulpit for six weeks. Beginning after this lesson's over. What are we going to do with him? Some of you are going, yeah, about time. Yeah, good. I will say to you that are sad, it's okay. There's going to be somebody here. And those of you that are happy, I'll be back. I'm not taking a break to quit. Sometimes you just need to take a break because you're just wore out. And I love, I have a love-hate relationship with what I'm doing today. Hate it and I love it. And it wears me out and it wears... And sometimes I wear you guys out, I know. And sometimes we're doing stuff, we just get worn out. And the best thing we could do is just take a break, take a step back. Now, some of you have had a break long enough. You've been taking a break for now about six years. Don't you think it's time to get back in? No. I would expect a lukewarm person to say that. You've been hurt and burned and you're tired. You're saying, never again am I going to do that again. And let me tell you what happens to the church. The temperature in the church just went down. 
I'm saying maybe you need to take a rest. Take a retreat. Take some time. Another one's discouragement. This, all these have had a part of my life. And sometimes discouragement. I get discouraged. My eyes are dim with grief, the psalmist says. I call to You, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to You. Here we see something that's causing his temperature to go down and what he's doing about it. He says, I'm just so discouraged. I'm grieving. It hurts. I've been hurt by something. Life has damaged me. I've been hit hard. And I just, I just ache inside and I don't, I will cry out to you, Lord. I'm going to address this. I'm going to talk to you, Lord, about it. Why? Because God, what's he say? He restores the soul, refreshes the soul. And then this fifth one is the one that happens to be the same problem in Laodicea. And that's the false security of affluence. It's having all this stuff and getting so caught up in my stuff, I forgot where the stuff came from. Who it came from. I'm so focused on... this. I heard it said this way. What a great way to say it. I'm so focused on this little patch of dirt where my house and my car, where I work, and I forget the Creator of it all, of all the dirt, of everything, but I'm so focused on this that I've pushed Him, the Creator, get this, the Creator, right out of my life because I'm so focused on this. I'm focused on making a living and not focused on living. That's what's happened here. Look at this. Look at this passage in Proverbs 18. A rich man thinks his wealth as an impregnable defense. A high wall of safety. What a dreamer. You say, what a silly guy. But don't we all do this? I do it. Why is it when I have $6.34 in my PayPal account, I'm going, oh no. I've only got $6.34. But then I sell something. And I sell another thing. Now i got $94 in my PayPal account. Isn't that what money does? If I have a little more money, a little more things, I get this false sense of security. And money doesn't give me security. We think it does. We dream. We're like this dreamer. We think that it brings me security. Well, you're saying we shouldn't even try to make money? Of course not. We just don't need to make money our God. That we make what we get from God more important than the One who gave it to us. God Himself. And see, that's what's happened to this church in Laodicea. Look what he says. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. He says, you've been lukewarm. And then, then the, uh, the way the Greek text says, you, you're lukewarm is what you are because you say this. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Just like when Rome asked him, Asked them in 60 A.D. the city, hey, could you, could you use a little help from us? And they said, no, we don't need your help. God is saying, could you use a little bit of my help? No, we don't need your help anymore. All the prosperity and all the, the wealth I have, and all the things I've got now, well, I, you know, I really don't need you in my life anymore. And I want you to think about this. Remember, I'm just asking many of us here to remember something. 
Remember how desperate you were for God at the beginning? Some of you here, I don't mean to pick on you, but you really made a mess of things, huh? You come in here, you're all messed up. I won't forget my brother. I'm talking to him. He's, he gets a divorce. And I go over to see him and he's crying. Oh, Tim. She's wanting a divorce. And I go, well, do you blame her? You're never around. You're never home. You're out motorcycling all the time. And he looks at me like, oh man, you didn't say that. I'll never forget. I'm going, I don't enjoy saying this, but I'm your brother and I gotta tell you the truth. He's like, what am I gonna do? And I go, well, are you tired of driving in the ditches? And he says to me, yeah, would you drive? And I go, no! I can't even drive myself! What do I do? I know somebody can drive. He drives well. His name is Jesus. Man, he careened into a tomb. (laughs) Popped right out of that one. That ditch didn't stop him. Oh, Jesus. That's what he says to me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Don't you say, oh, Jesus. You talk like that. One of these days you're going to be going, oh, Jesus. What am I going to do? (laughs) You need to think about Jesus Christ. And so he makes this decision. He makes this decision. And he decides to become a Christian. And here we are. It's his wedding day. Stefan and he are getting married. And then I get a call that night. On his wedding night. Anybody else that stupid? Does anybody call your brother? Hey, guess what? What do they talk about? Here's what my brother said. Hey, I just want to tell you something. I'm so happy. I go, okay, Danny. Where are you calling from? The hotel room. She's in the bathroom. Too much information. I don't want to know. He goes, I just want to tell you, I finally got what you got. And I go, what do you got? (laughs) What are you talking about? Well, and he's, this is exactly what he said. I have a Christian wife. I've got some money in my pocket. Here's the, here's the clincher. And I have a car that runs. Okay. Just want you to know I finally got what you got. And he hangs up. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, well, let's see. When you moved here, you were broke. You weren't married. And you're car couldn't even make it here. And now God's given you all three. And isn't that what God does? We come in all messed up. Come on, folks. Oh, let's be honest. We come in all messed up. I've made some stupid choices. I'm financially upside down. I've got these bad thinking patterns that get me in trouble. And Jesus, one at a time, goes, let's work on that one. Now let's work on this one. And next thing you know, things are starting to look up. Things are starting to get good. I've watched this for years here. People come in the door so screwed up, so messed up, and Jesus gets them all cleaned up. And you know what they do? Bye. I got it now. I've got it now. You thinking like that today? Stop thinking that way. You don't got nothing. I wouldn't have a chance either out there. God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. And, and, this, and this church goes, God, we got so much now, we don't need you. No wonder he's saying, the guy who's victorious, this is hard. Sometimes it's hard to follow God when it's so good. It's hard to stay faithful and passionate about Him when it's so good because you want to let off the gas. 
He says, you don't got it. You're wretched, which means you're really worthless. If you look at your portfolio, spiritually speaking, well, you may look good on paper, but not in the book of life. You're poor. You're naked. You're blind. And you're no longer desperate for me like you used to be. You've become casual and indifferent. How'd that happen? Through affluence. Through the blessings. Romans 8, I'm sorry, not Romans 8, Deuteronomy 8 up here on the screen. There's a passage that's very, it's a warning to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. And he says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Be careful. Whoa, what? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and decrees. How do I remember the Lord? I obey His laws and, and commands and decrees. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What's he saying? You'll forget the God who brought you out of your mess. And in verse 17 he says, you may say to yourself, here's the thing you've got to watch out for. My power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I've done this. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What's he saying? Don't fall so, so much in love with what God has given you that you fall out of love with the giver. This will lower your spiritual temperature. And if there's ever a time in America and in the history of Greater Elton Church, I watch this. I watch, and I don't mean to pick on anybody today, but I watch some of you teenagers that are so desperate when you start off and then you get a job. You go to college, you get a job, and then you give God your leftovers. You start having kids as if, well, I've got kids now, I can't. And all this stuff is just lowering the passion. You're not, you're not thinking about the bigger picture. And I'm afraid to say, by the time you get to middle age and your senior years, you'll be sitting and soaking like the people you see today that you're critical of and say, I'll never want to be like that. You're going to be just like that. Unless you decide now, no, God's got my heart. I'm all in. I'm not going to let this destroy me. Last two points. I'm already long. I know I went long. But you know what? You're not going to see me for six weeks. So there we go. Step number two. I come to Jesus to get what I need. I come to Jesus to get what I need. Too often we go to shops and restaurants and who knows whatever. All, all this other stuff. Thinking that's going to give us what we really need. But Jesus says, no, there's something you need. I mentioned before, Laodicea was the Beverly Hills of Asia. And if you wanted the groceries, you'd go to a shop. There would be a shop right there, the best market in town. And there's the best place to buy a horse or a chariot or equipment, farm equipment. The best place to buy building material, it's all there. The best banks, everything. But what if you're shopping for a better life? You say, well, it is a better life, Tim. Well, on earth... But what if you're looking for a better life that lasts forever? Where do you go find that? Where's the shop in Laodicea that sells that? i got news for you. It's not there. 
There is no shop there. You won't find it in Laodicea. You only find it in the Lord. Jesus said this, A thief is only there to steal and to kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real life, eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus says, look, you have the best things money can buy, but you're still bankrupt and poor and naked. So he says in verse 18, I counsel you. He says, listen to me if you've got an ear. I don't suggest this. I'm telling you this is what you do. Buy from me. Circle that. Buy from me. So there's only certain things you can get from God and nowhere else. You can't find it in a person, in a phone, in a gadget, in a car, in a job, in a title. There are just some things that only God has. He's got the corner market on it. He's got the monopoly on it. He says, buy from me gold refined in fire. What's that mean? The best gold. I have the best. So you can become rich. So he wants me to be rich. He's talking about a rich life. May not be money. He's talking about a rich life that's truly life. And not black clothes. He says, and white clothes to wear. Not black? No, you're going to wear white. What's white about? Being righteous. I want you to pay and buy from me righteousness so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve. You don't understand salve. Well, I got the salve that will help you see, from my point of view, see with my values, life, See what's really important and even see your eternity, your destiny. And you're going to have to pay for it. Come buy it. Because you won't find it in Laodicea. And church, what I love about this is there are some things only Jesus has in stock. Everybody else has run out. Well, how do I pay for this? That's a good question. Does he take American? Does he take charge card? How do I pay for this? PayPal? No. Now the the currency the currency is not on earth in that sense, paper money and things of that nature. How do I pay for this? My currency is my time, my attention, my desires, my heart. My currency is me. Just like the dollar bill has a face of Washington and then Hamilton on the 10 and Jackson on the 20 and Grant on the 50 and and uh, Franklin on the 100 and I don't know anybody else after that. My face is on my currency. I'm on that. It's me. It's my life. It's my passion. It's my desires. And so when I get it out and fork it over, surrender, get it all out. When I surrender my currency, my life, that's when I'm able to receive what God has to offer. See, I want you to know this morning, listen, there is nothing and there's no one that satisfies your life as much as Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah 55 says, Come, all of you are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Wait, you don't have any money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me. Eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So what do I bring? What's my currency? It's me. Have you give have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you surrendered all of you to Jesus? You want to get back your spiritual fervor? Give Jesus your heart. And the last thing is I rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. Here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's a famous painting by Warner Solomon. And here it is, I think, on the screen. If we got it on the screen. I remember as a kid, how many of you know this picture? You've seen this picture before. I remember as a kid, went to a country church and it was in that church. Sometimes on our bulletin, sometimes on our tracks. I'd go to other friends' churches and this painting called Christ at Heart's Door, painted by a guy named Warner Solomon, painted in 1942. Perhaps one of the most popular Christian artists of our day. He painted several of them. This was one of the biggest ones. And it's and you look at it. Just look at that picture for a minute. Look how bright Jesus is. If the light is just coming from Him, isn't it? Light up the whole door there, you know? And now a lot of people will tell you there's some things you probably notice and you probably know about this painting. First of all, this door represents our heart. And notice, there's no doorknob. There's no latch on the outside. How many of you already knew that? Have heard of that? Right, there's no doorknob. What's that mean? Yeah, you can only open the door from the inside. Only a person. And what I notice, I'll tell you what else I notice though. I notice a few other things. Jesus is not kicking the door in. You gonna let me in? I know you're in there. I notice no SWAT team of angels like SEAL Team Seven 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 with automatic weapons. Okay, open the door, Angel Number One. Okay. You know, we're gonna double tap Tim here. Is that no? You understand what I'm talking about? He's knocking at the door. He's not kicking the door in. Now why is he not kicking it in? Jesus will never force himself on you. This painting is inspired by this passage that is written to a church to Christians. This isn't to lost people. To Christians. Can I tell you what I notice? Notice the grate in the door? How dark it is? There's no light inside. Well, nobody's home. Oh, there's somebody home. Jesus wouldn't knock on a door if nobody was home. No, there's somebody inside, but it's dark when Jesus isn't in there. Can I tell you what really bothers me about this painting? That I don't know if Warner Solomon was thinking of. Why is Jesus outside? 
Why is the Lord outside? Because He's been pushed out. He's been pushed out by a Christian. By a member of the church at Laodicea. And I just wonder if He's been pushed out by a member of the Greater Alton Church. And if you've pushed Him out, you've let other things push Him out. Maybe your discouragement pushed Him out. Whatever's pushed... Maybe you've let other people push Him out. Maybe you've let your selfishness push Him out. He's, he comes to the door. Look how bright He is. He knows it's dark in there. He wants to get in. Let me in. Tim, let me in. I'm afraid to let you in. If I let you in, I don't know what's going to happen. Look what's happening now. It's dark in there. You like that? No, I don't. Let me in. And he'll keep knocking and knocking and knocking until either the door opens or the end of time. If I want my passion back, he says, it's never too late. I can make a commitment. I can open the door of my heart again. And let him back in everything. Let him back in to everything again. And I'll tell you, if you'll do this, I believe that's when we get our passion back. How do you know that, Tim? Because there's been times I've pushed Jesus out myself and didn't realize it. I thought I was fine. And he says, no, Tim, you're wretched, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind. Let me in. Well, of course. And then I find out how blind I was, how, how dark it was until I didn't realize how dark it had got until I brought him back in. Oh, the light. Almost blinding, but so good. He says, you, you open the door and I will come in and eat with you. Now, I don't know how you are when it comes to meals with people. Sometimes we're so fast, fast food, in and out, bing, bang, you know, gone. But in the ancient times, when they said, I want to have a meal with you, it meant an intimate relationship. It meant to share. I'm sharing my food, my resources with you. I value you and we're buddies, we're friends, we're close, we're tight. And that's what He wants. He wants you to open the door so you can be in love again with each other. And experience that passion, that intensity, that enthusiasm that you've lost. Luke 12:21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I want you to know this morning, as we close, that God wants a rich relationship with you. But you have the door, the knob that can determine that. If you're a Christian, and you've lost your passion, you feel like you're lukewarm. It's normal that happens. It can happen. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You just need to recommit your life again to Christ. And He'll fill your heart. You'll be boiling again. Let me ask you three questions and then we'll pray here. Ask yourself this question. Where am I lukewarm? Where am I lukewarm? What am I lukewarm in particularly? What is it that's been lowering my temperature? And what do I need to do? What does God 
nudging me to do to restore my fire for Him. Be praying about that as we sing a song, as we fill out these cards. Be thinking about that. May God bless you. Uh, Those of you whose hearts are boiling, praise God you're here. Praise God you're here. Those of you whose hearts are, are cold, praise God you're here. He wants to melt that cold heart. And if you're lukewarm, I want you to know, praise God you're here. You can change that this morning. You can change that this morning. Let's pray and we'll be through. Father, we thank You and praise You for uh, these seven churches, Lord. We've been reading their mail, (laughs) kind of looking what what You like, what You don't like. Father, we've learned quite a bit. that We know we're here to bring Your light, to hold Your light like a lampstand, to hold Your light into a dark world. And Father, we pray that You'll give us Give us the strength, Father. Give us the desire. Give us Your Holy Spirit in a powerful way and work on us this morning, Lord. I know, we know, we all know there are many of us here that have become lukewarm. We're not doing, we're not doing hardly anything anymore. And you know, we're, we're, we're caught up in other things. And Father, we've let these things push and crowd You out of our heart. Lord, I pray for the heart of this church, of Greater Alton Church, that You will cure us of our lukewarmness, Father. That You will heat us up, Father. Fill us with a boiling passion for You. A deep desire and enthusiasm for Your things. Help us resist the things that try to lower our temperature. Help us fight against them. Address them and do something about it, Father. And Father, I pray that You'll find us faithful that we won't make you sick, that will make you, of anything, proud and pleasing. That's what we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.